Good morning. I'd like to welcome you all to River City Church today. We pray diligently that the Lord will bless you in every spiritual way this morning. Here at River City, we uh, teach through the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a set of readings which progress methodically through the Bible in three years. Uh, today, our psalm is Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you. And we ask you to be part of everything that we do here today. Help us, Lord, to love you with all of our hearts, all of our strength, and all of our souls. And help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. into prayers of the people, if you are not standing already, if you would stand with me um, as an act of joining together. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and thick dark darkness the, the people's but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Even the darkness is light to you. May we run into the darkness knowing that we are carrying the light of hope and salvation. May we not turn an eye from the news, from the chaos, from the mess, our own or others, but may we run into it knowing that even the darkness is light to you. We pray for the universal church, its members and its mission. We pray for the um, Christian pastor who was killed and 35 others from the, by the Islamic extremists. We pray for the Iran 21-year-old who converted, was converted to Christianity and sit before, for the radical Hindus who beat a pastor and made him sit before false gods. May they know that even the, the darkness is light to you. dead and the 16 hurt in Tanzania who were worshiping outside and were killed as a, at a worship gathering. May your light spring forth in the most unexpected places. We thank you 
And we praise you for the 42 Christians that were released after being held captive since 2012. Give them endurance, perseverance, place to heal and to rest. Comfort them as they re-enter the world with so much wounding, physically and emotionally and spiritually. We pray for the coronavirus, the fear that's getting stirred up, the plans and the actions and the people of China that just, their lives right now in this moment feel so uncertain. The towns are just ghost towns. God, I pray that you would bring wisdom and discernment to the decision makers and to the medical community of China. fight and we rebuke the enemy that he would try and make this even more than it is. And we stand in agreement with you that there is nothing out of your control. There is nothing beyond your reach. So would you come and insert yourself in China in the midst of the sickness and the government chaos? Would you insert yourself in a very obvious and clear way? May we take hope knowing that you have overcome the darkness of the world and that your light cannot be overthrown. We pray for our local community. God, we pray for Brooke as she recovers not only from surgery, but also after throwing out her back. God, would your presence invade their home would you bring peace and comfort to her heart that she would know that she is not only seen, but she is heard, that when she cries, you respond with, here I am. We do ask for a healing that can only come from you. May you love their family extravagantly right now. We continue to pray for the wits for Cassie's mom, the road of fighting cancer and battling long-term health issues is hard and it is day in and it is day out and it can wear you down and situations in any given moment can change. God, would you give them the peace that surpasses understanding knowing that you have put their feet on a solid rock, that their hope would not waver with each medical decision but that they too in the middle of that hospital room would know that even the darkness is light to you. We pray for the men's retreat that's coming up. I pray for every man, young and old, that is going on this retreat that you would prepare their hearts that you would go before them in their rooms and in their cabins, that you would go before those facilitating conversations, that you would go before them and that you would prepare a space that is filled with your presence, that our men would be reminded that they are sons first, 
that they would be affirmed and encouraged and freed into the identity and their fullness of who you have called them to be. May our community rally around them with anticipation of what you are going to do, that they would return different and that our community would thus be different, that we would look more like you. We lift up anybody who is suffering in silence, where shame has grabbed hold and condemnation is roaring louder than ever. We pray, God, that you would would step in in spirit and in truth, that you would silence the lies of shame and condemnation, that they would know that that is not from you. And that as a community, we would step in and love each other in and out of season. In comfort and in discomfort. We take your yoke upon us and we exchange it with ours. And may we take great comfort today in knowing that even the darkness is light to you. In Jesus' name. So this week for me, I've been, I've been building towards this week for six weeks. So there's no way it's going to be as good as I want it to be. There's not a chance that that is going to happen. Um, we've been in a season of prayer and been focusing on it and trying to draw people into that space with us because it's important to be a church that prays. To be a church that doesn't pray is to be a church that doesn't have faith because those two things are together. And so we've been talking about the concept from John Mark Comer's website, Practicing the Way. Apprenticeship to Jesus looks like being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. We've been in Be With Jesus for four weeks now, going on five. We'll spend most of the first quarter of this year talking about these things because for us to become like Jesus and do what he did, we have to have been with him. We can't just hear about him. Words without actions They just don't work, right? We talked about how when God spoke, it was the same as action. His word became flesh, right? And for us, we have to be with him to impact for him. And there is a way that those overlap. And Jordan did a great job last week talking about being in the world, and we have to be and we need to be. But we have to be people in the world that look and act like Jesus because we know him. We know him. And we can know him. And so we've asked you guys to jump into prayer. We've even asked you to fill out pots. You can still do that. We collectively pray into things to see God do those as a community. You still have time to do that. We'll present those either next week or the following week. But specifically today, the reason why this was such an important day is because a friend of mine who's actually coming to speak soon uh, is Dr. Cheryl Bridges-Johns is was my mentor in seminary and she probably had the largest impact on me out of all of my seminary professors and she tweeted something which is kind of ridiculous that I'm so impacted by a tweet but I am and I want to see if Bill if you could pull this up because when I read this it it literally took me a moment to gather myself and this is what it says and she comes from the same movement I come from historically I am in uh, what would be called the church of God movement similar to the assemblies movement And that was what I was raised in. And she says this. And she's a 
professor at the seminary for that movement. My movement talks about prayer. We are a praying people, but we aren't inclined toward penitent prayer or the life of ongoing repentance. Lack of teaching on this subject has made us people who love to praise God while at the same time compromised by personal and corporate sin. I firmly believe that 2020 should be our penitent year. We don't need to get America to cry out to God. We, the church, need to cry out in fervent, penitent prayer. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. This is a whole generation who have never experienced, brace yourself, the heavy, convicting cloud of God's presence. They've seen smoke machines and even dance before the Lord, but they've never been overwhelmed by the glory or trembled under the weight of the holy hush. I'm ready to like scream right now. The only way there is through the door marked penitence. I couldn't gather myself after this. It spoke deeply to me. I had already been talking about how all the prophets that we hear of are going to come out because 2020 is going to be the year of vision or adding something else to your life or getting what you need. And this is what I believe this year is about. I believe it's a year for us to become honest. I believe it's a year for us to finally step into a space where our children know what it looks like to confess and be healed. Not to just call out sin when we see it. We're the best generation maybe ever at that. Spend five minutes on Twitter, and almost all of the Christian community knows who to say needs to repent. But nobody's teaching anybody how to repent. Do we want the love of God? Do we want healing? Do we want to experience what it's like to be filled with God? This is a door we can't avoid. This is not a comfortable topic. This will not be your favorite sermon of the year. My hopes, though, is that you see that it's a door that is desirable to walk through. Can you pull up the slide? I asked Bill to find a picture of a door that nobody wants to walk through. There's three of them right there. It feels and looks like this. We don't. We don't want to do this. I don't necessarily know why. I have some thoughts, and I'm going to share those with you. But the whole idea with penitent prayer or confession or even being able to just admit what you're doing is the whole story of the gospel. I mean, Jesus came to build a plan towards being rebuilt in him, a new creation. And the only way through was the door called repentance. He even went so far as to come and embody sin and take it to the cross, be raised from the dead, present a way to us for him to be our mediator so that we can receive from him the gift of salvation. So what's, what gives with this? Why do we not want to talk about it? Why is it so hard to discuss this with people? I have some thoughts. But on the other side of this door, I believe, is a place that all of us need. And when I speak on this today, it's because I know on the other side of this door, you can pull up the most beautiful garden that Bill could find, and it is just lush. Amen? There's a, I guess that's a lake and some mountains. But man, to be in this space where you've become so one with who you really are, because that's important, because you have to become one with that for Jesus to then be able to redeem it, right? But to avoid those hidden places our whole lives, it's a little bit like this, and I'm, I'm a little hesitant to talk about this with the coronavirus like spreading. I wonder if the sales for Corona beer has gone down in the last month. I don't know. I just thought of it this morning. Maybe check it out. 
But to have these hidden places within us is a little bit like having a sickness that's able to grow. And the symptoms of that sickness are lack of faith, accusation, resentment, bitterness, never experiencing freedom, hiding, shame. The symptoms. Symptoms would also be as soon as someone else in your life harms you, you're ready to attack or to cast judgment. When someone does you a way that you shouldn't be done, are you instantly at odds, frustrated, no space? These are symptoms. And so I I actually called my seminary professor because I told her it took six weeks to even get to the spot where I wanted to talk about this. We had a long conversation this week. And I just wanted to hear from her, what, what is, why is this such a big deal to you? Because for me, it feels like a big deal personally. And so I asked her the first question was, why do we avoid this? And I think we all know this, but around three generations ago, the church movement was built on the idea that we needed to convince people what not to do. And so there was this kind of angry generation of people a few generations ago that were very good at telling people what they needed to repent of. And there's kind of like your usual suspects, like it was going to be sexuality stuff, it was going to be abortion, it was going to be things that needed to be helped, but it was in a tone that created a massive division. And so all of these children of this generation started another church movement after this, because they were not going to, to bring their kids to this movement. It was called the what? The seeker-sensitive movement, which exploded And it exploded because people were leaving this angry, vitriol, uh, almost like they're saying what I should do, but nobody's doing it. I'm not going to raise my family in that. So we started these seeker-sensitive churches over decades and decades. We started to realize this isn't all of it, right? It's great to gather and talk about, like, Jesus at the movies. Like, who sat through a series about Jesus at the movies? I don't understand. Like, we're... It's great, like the best life ever. That's awesome, like how to be your best you in six weeks. These things don't have sustenance to last. So we were drawn back to these spaces that we originally ran from because people gave them to us in the wrong way. And now we want to disconnect ourselves with them. So now our generation, the generation we have now, has become awesome at calling out what needs to be changed in the church. And just globally. So now we have what we have, which is, Every person in the world has a microphone. Every single person has an audience. And anytime someone wants to say something, they can say it. So we have a sharp movement that wants to speak truth to power, that wants to change things. And it's, again, things that need to happen. But we're still falling under the same sins that our forefathers did. No one knows how to own it. No one knows how to model it. Yes, you need to change. And yes, we'll stand up for this. But how are we showing our kids how to do this? How are we embodying what it means to say, I have done the wrong? I have done it. If we don't learn from our forefathers, we're just doing the same things at different topics. It's different to say we have sinned than to say those guys have sinned. You can pull up, Bill, if you don't mind. I don't think I'm supposed to be there yet, but Psalm 106. This psalmist speaks from what I would call the collective we, which is not what the church does anymore. But he also speaks from the grace of God when he's talking about repentance. It's a God he knows and experiences as good, and so we have to repent. And this is what he says, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You guys know that song? 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Amen. Okay. <laughs> who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, yes, who do righteousness at all times, just like y'all. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. And then, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but they rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. So we now have the opportunity to embody this message differently. And we have to do it differently. There's something I think that's kind of spreading through the internet that would be labeled as a, you can pull up the disgust slide, Bill. It's almost like an addiction to disgust. It's, it's a way to embody a message, and disgust is this, our feelings of repulsion towards certain objects, behaviors, and people, a feeling of revulsion or strong disapproval aroused by something unpleasant or offensive. And so we've begun to embody this message that's very good at speaking what shouldn't be done without owning our part in it. So we have to now step into a space where we say, why are we not repenting? And how can we start? And for some of you, the reasons are plentiful. Many of you were raised in homes who the foundation was anger about the gospel. I mean, I know people in this room who had to sit at tables and be able to defend the gospel at a young age without knowing what it meant to be a son or a daughter. I know people in this room who have sat at churches and have been manipulated into accomplishing something for the church without knowing truly who they are. So we all have a reason why we would avoid wanting to confess. I believe we live in a shame culture, right? Like, What's the real reason why we don't want to repent? We love to see somebody else being called to the carpet, but maybe because we're so good at that, we know that if we do it, we might be called in the same way. Maybe our kids know, like when we're talking about politics and my 10-year-old and my 9-year-old and my 8-year-old, and maybe this is not what I say, but maybe some of us say, well, whatever slur towards a certain type of government, whatever to the opposite, and they pick up on these things of people who are doing it the wrong way and we're the ones saying it. And then they think when it's time for them to come to the carpet and be honest about what's going on in themselves, is this really a safe space to do this? Can I truly come to you and express where I'm broken, where I'm sinning? I mean, I'm, I told Mariah this past week who has a magazine that you should all read. It's over there. I'd love to do an article. On, that's it right there. On confessions of a, what was Confessions of a Competitive Pastor, which embodies my whole existence as I've pastored. Like, I'm so competitive in such unhealthy ways that has to be cleansed at all times. And I wonder what it would look like for all of us to just start being honest. What kind of culture would happen if we just started being the kind of honest that we need to be? Not just the surface level, I, I probably did some bad stuff this week, but to literally be able to say, I, this, can I just be really honest? I said this to my wife this week, like when the church down the street does really awesome, my first instinct is not like, thank you, Jesus, for the kingdom. My first instinct is awful and disgusting. They're doing great. Or the church down the street that's, that's failing. My first instinct 
is terrifyingly, that's good. That's, that's honest. So like I have to take that and be like, God, why is this in me? Like why, why do I want to celebrate when a church does bad that's not ours and hate it when a church does good that's not ours? What if we all began to be honest in such a way that Jesus had access to that space? What if just in your own household you began to be honest in such a way? And I'm just going to read through a couple of these passages. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is going to take you a minute to get to these, I'm sure. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. You can go to the next passages three in a row. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. And then the last one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So here's the deal. Labeling is not the same as owning. And when you're able to own what is dark in your own life, it can be healed. You can grow from it. You can then involve the community and Jesus in it, and you can actually move towards freedom. But if it hides continually under the surface forever, it will stay the same way and actually begin to affect negatively. So our job, and this is, I wish Justin Boggs would have been here because we talk about this all the time. I have thoughts about revival and what revival should look like. I typically don't think revival is just a bunch of people worshiping in a room. I don't think that makes sense. When I think of revival, I think of St. Patrick. I think of generosity just pouring out in the city. I think of compassion like we've never seen. I think of Mother Teresa. I don't know why. Sarah asked me this week, I think of Mother Teresa when I think of revival. For some reason, she embodies what it is to give her life to completely the other, to love people well. When I think of revival, I think of, good Lord, God is loving this city so well. And it includes worship. But I don't think it's just a bunch of people worshiping in a room. That's not revival to me. But I heard that at Asbury Seminary, there was a revival in the 60s or 70s. And some of you know enough about this. And the way the revival started was one student stood up and confessed uncomfortably awkward sins, and it was like it became contagious. One confession led to someone else knowing, I can be honest here, to another confession, to another confession. It created a culture where God was involved in the deepest, darkest places. The Moravians were actually built on this idea of confessing to one another. And you'll, you'll hear in a second in James, we can actually confess our sins to each other, not just as practice, but we've been given the power from God to hear our brothers and sisters' sins and stand in the place of Christ with them. That's literally a passage of scripture. The Moravians actually created a culture where everyone started doing that with one another, and there's no option but humility in that culture. There's no option but humility, generosity, listening, taking time with, it creates the environment of revival, which to me is the presence of God, which he is in those who are weak and those who confess are admitting their weakness. We all need confession. All of us, all of our children need to be taught, especially now, how to confess, or they're gonna know how to demand others confess and call others to the carpet. And Jesus is not mostly interested in that. He's mostly interested in teaching us how to receive his healing. Because if we can, then others can. Through us. This is the beautiful gospel that we have. We have to model it. It's contagious. I actually had a phone call. This always happens to me when I preach on something 
that I'm excited about. This past week, I feel like I was called out because, I don't know how much of this I can say. Nobody listens to this podcast, so that's all right. (laughs) Don't spread it. Dang it. You're here, though, so you're good. So there was a trip that Sarah and I are going on (laughs) soon. We're going with my brother-in-law and sister uh, because they got a free room in Colorado. So that's how people in ministry travel usually. Um, pretty, I mean, if you've been in ministry, that's how it works typically. And so I knew that there was a really important thing I needed to be at <laughs> right at the beginning of that. But I just wanted to extend that because vacation sounds so good. So I went a day early, and I knew that the people I was supposed to be with during that were not going to like that I did it. I had a check in my spirit, and I hot-wired it, got my tickets glory. Start to look at ski equipment, places, start to look at rental cars. So this past week, after I'm preparing for this, excited to tell you guys how you all need to repent. <laughs> Literally, the person is like, so, so what you're, this, this was like the most concise call out I've ever got. They were like, so what you're saying is this other trip is more important. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't think I'm saying... But, but you put it right in the middle of the trip that we're supposed to be on. So you're telling me that you're more important than the other people on this. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Literally, I had to back off. And I thought to myself, they never shared any of that with me. So this is what happens. They never shared any of that with me. I was mad at them, and I had to get off the phone. So I was like, thanks, thanks for sharing. I appreciate this. I literally said, thanks for sharing. Like, I don't know what to do. When I get called out like that, I, I don't have any idea how to respond. So I hung up the phone, and I, I was reminded of this, and I was reminded of me as a leader and how I would want people to respond to me. And so, oh, I, I sent it. This makes me sound awesome. So I promised that my goal was not to sound awesome, but to share this. So I sent this person. I was like, listen, I had a check in my spirit. I should not have done this. I did it. I'm sorry because I didn't apologize for what happened to them, I apologize for my action because my mom told me that was what you should do. I'm sorry that I chose to do this because I know that that sent a message that y'all weren't important. You are important. I want to be there. I'll change my flight. Please forgive me. So then the person says, this is where this is where this makes sense. The person said, actually, we never shared with you how important it was to us. So we please forgive us. We never shared how clear because evidently you got the message last year that other people were leaving. So, so you see what happened? It created an environment. And this is what's interesting. The people are literally like in leadership in my life. So for me to be called out by a leader is like, that's not good. Because I already want to do a good enough job. But I did it. But being able to say sorry for what I actually did created a different kind of community where apology became. And they also knew that I honored them. But here's the thing, they did wrong and I did wrong. So when I was called in my wrongness, I would have chosen to focus on their wrongness instead of my own, which is what we all do. You know what? You did me wrong. You shouldn't have done that. Instead of humility apologizes for your actions, it doesn't require the other person to. That was hard for me. That was really hard for me. It was a long day for me. Sarah, she came home and she was like, what's going on with you? And I was like, I don't really know. I'm not doing well right now. I don't like to be called out by my leadership. I was. I did the wrong thing. I had a check in my spirit. I still did it. I shouldn't blame them. 
I love the people that called me out. I love them. But we have to model this, and it's contagious. When there's a culture where people know that they can say what's actually happening, it becomes contagious. And it's not just a label to say something. It becomes contagious. So I just want to share with you a few quick things. The first thing is, if you want to go into this kind of area, if you desire to do it alone without the Holy Spirit, you will quickly fall into condemnation. Because you have sinned, and your ancestors have sinned. But the Holy Spirit is there through Jesus. Our access is the Holy Spirit to Jesus to then be with you as you examine. So me examining, all right, Father, if I'm going to examine where I've sinned, can you please be with me? Because I can't bear the weight of this. And then you create a space and say, please come into this with me. Shine light on where, and if he is there, there is no condemnation. It's not a witch hunt. There's no desire for you to spend the next month trying to figure out what hidden sin. It's you inviting the Holy Spirit to show you where you've been wrong and for you to apologize. But there's three things involved in an actual repentant heart. Number one, an examination of conscience. Can you go to the next slide really quick? Self-examination, a process whereby the Holy Spirit opens my heart to what is true about me, this is not the same as a neurotic shame-inducing inventory. Instead, it's a way of opening myself to God within the safety of divine love so that I can authentically seek transformation. Confession embraces Christ's gift of forgiveness and restoration while setting us on a path to renewal and change. Can you go back to the previous slide? Number two, true sorrow. If you don't feel truly sorrow, truly sorrowful about what you've done, I think it's time to spend time in prayer about that. Number three, a determination to avoid sin. And this is the one when I saw it, I was like, people aren't going to want to hear this because this sounds like religion, right? This sounds like religion, a determination to avoid sin. But in any true, please forgive me for this. If there's not also connected to it, a desire to not do it anymore, it's not real. If I know that I've harmed Brendan, if I know that I've harmed Sarah in some way, and I say sorry, but then do the same thing that night, that's not true repentance. So when we say sorry for the things we've done, we're required to look at what it actually is and then invite Jesus into helping us not do it anymore. And for some of you right now, you're already thinking of the sin that you're committing and you need a buddy with you because that part hasn't worked for you. The determination to avoid sin, it's continually there. You need a brother or a sister to walk with you to that door. Some of us need to be dragged there. Stand in front of that door, not to end at the door, but to go through. Your brothers and sisters are here for that. What this is not, a determination to avoid sin, is not a fear-based tactic for you to feel like you're always got, you've always got something that will never be forgiven. That's also not the gospel. If you don't know what it is, move on. Invite Jesus into it, move on. Don't kill yourself based on what you might have done that you can't remember. Does that make sense? All right. So if you can go back to that, I think I skipped over one of the quotes. I'm sure I skipped over a bunch. The discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. God is calling us into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity 
and know the forgiving and empowering graces of Christ. Honesty leads to confession, and confession leads to change. May God give grace to the church once again to recover the discipline of confession. What I truly believe God is asking our church to do if we want to experience what Ryan said as the Holy Spirit Spirit filling this place are people whose hearts are broken for the darkness that we hide really well. And if we can do that, then we can speak truth to power. But if you cannot do that, you cannot speak truth to power. If your mission in life is to speak truth to power, but you can't speak it to your own power, you need to sit back and be with Jesus. It is just a gong. And no one's listening except for the people who are already clapping in your corner. Because that's what Twitter is. It's just a collection of people who already believe what you believe, and your likes are amens, and it doesn't affect anything. I just made that up about the likes or amens. You can tweet that. (laughs) Speak truth to your own power. Well, I don't have anything in me. You do. And if you don't think you do, you have more than others. And the best thing about it is in front of Jesus, with him, he will heal and forgive. That's the message of the gospel. Evangelical churches have skipped this for so long. We've been so good at requiring repentance for salvation, and then we act like that's it for the rest of our lives. And people wonder why they're depressed. People wonder why they don't have any hope. People wonder why they don't experience joy in relationships. It's because it wasn't meant for just there. It's a lifestyle. If you can't say sorry for something that you have done, There's a brokenness that needs to be healed. If the first thing that happens in you when you're called out is anger and resentment, there's a brokenness that needs to be healed. I am speaking to me. I get angry at every person who calls me out because I've worked so hard to not have to live in the shame of not adding up like many of you. So when I don't add up, I can either own that as my failure or I can say, God, I'm not adding up again. And he can say, this is exactly where I've wanted you to be, so you can be reminded, without me, you're not going to do this. You can continue to go do what I did without being with me, but you're not going to do anything. Be with me, become like me, do what I did. This is huge. This is not a secondary side issue. We have to step into this space. I want my kids and your kids to know when they break someone's heart, when they harm someone at school, when someone does something, when an adult, they need to know what it looks like to say, Shantae, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I did that, right? Sarah, I'm really sorry. I apologize to my kids all the time, too much. It's almost like not going to work now because I do it too much, right? So I'm going to kind of jump over right here, but I'm going to give you some reflection questions really quick just to kind of stir you. Do you specifically, this is so big, this is so big, do you specifically name your sin you are seeking forgiveness for, or is it more of a blanket? God, please forgive my sins. Can you say, I was mean to Jordan at staff meeting last week. Can you say, I got angry with you, Sarah, for being an awesome wife, because she's just great. Number two, what experiences have affected your ability to forgive or receive forgiveness? 
this is a good conversation. If you were raised in a home that didn't allow for failure in any way, there's a chance that it's hard for you to self-examine. Involve Jesus in that. Number three, when have you actually tasted the joy of a good confession? I'm just gonna share this because it happened. This week when that happened, I didn't feel like I, I won. Like when, I, when that happened, that conversation I just told you about, I didn't feel like when it was over, I just won that. I totally outconfessed that person. I was more submissive. I'm humble. Amen. I felt what I would call the peace of Jesus fill not only me, but the whole place I was in. I felt like a yes and amen. You owned it. And now because of that, there's cleansing coming. You can be healed from it. And then I felt restoration in a relationship. It's like, yes. When have you tasted what it's like to have a good confession where you feel like I was honest, God heard it, I've been cleansed, I can move forward. Number four, which of your sins, this is a part, I wanted to do a part two of this message because all sin affects other people, right? Sin is not just, it's separating me and God. All of our sins have an effect on other people. And so when we sin, which of your sins are having the largest effect on those in your life right now? And if you can name them, if you can name it, you need to see that person and you need to own it to that person. And if that person happens to be a spouse or a daughter or a son or a mom and dad, it will be harder, but it can happen. You have to own. You can't just do it. This is, Karen and I had a great conversation. You can't just be like, God, I, I armed Sarah this week. I just need your forgiveness. I call their name. God requires me to, to bring healing to this through what he can do by saying to Sarah, Sarah, this is what I did, and I'm sorry that that happened. And that's the way that works. Number five, what is it like for you to confess your sins to a friend or counselor? There's so much more I want to go into with this. Can you pull up James 20, 23? If you forgive, your, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold for forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That, theologically, we're not even going to dance in those waters. But I do know what this means is that we can sit with one another and I can say to you what I'm struggling with. You can receive it as a mature Christian. Don't confess to everyone. You should not confess to everyone because not everyone can handle it. And who do you know who you should confess to? Who in your life is always talking about other people's problems? Don't confess to them. <laughs> Have you ever been around somebody that you knew had garbage on somebody else but seen restraint in them? Confess to them. People who you know, they could and don't. That's who you want to be and that's who you want to confess to. Can you pull up the next scripture, please? Is this the next one? Cool. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power and is working in a confession Healing happens. Everyone say healing. healing. Confession is not you standing at that door for the rest of your life, and then you're in heaven. And I did it, God. Right? There used to be this Chris Rice song when I was in seminary that was like, I just want to be with you. I just want this waiting to be over. Anybody remember this song? Just want to be with you. Nope. Cool. I just want this waiting to be over. And at the time, I didn't hate the song. 
Sarah did, and she said, I hate the words of this song, because we're not here just for this waiting to be over. We're not standing at a door, a dark door that we don't want to be at. We go through the door. The kingdom is here. We embody it. We take it. It can be joyful. Yes, pain. Yes, sorrow. Yes, hard things. But there is joy in Christ. The body of Christ can exude joy. We can expect blessing. This is not a bad thing. Christian culture, 2020. It's not bad to have joy. Joy is a good thing. I want joy. I can't create it. I need it. I pray for God to give me joy. I can make it look like I have joy at times. That's fake. I don't enjoy that. Afterwards, I feel depressed. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's the truth. Because you can't fake it, but he gives it. He gives it. The door leading to holiness, to joy, to peace, is the door marked repentance and confession and I, there's no way I can create this. I'm going to do that just for effect. There's no way that I can create this. But when, she, when my seminary teacher talked about the holy hush, I have been in many church experiences where I have felt the holy hush. I literally felt it when I read her tweet. I had to text Bill because Bill's the one who sent me that tweet. And I said, whatever the holy hush is, I'm sitting in that right now. And it's the kind of drawing that says, oh my gosh, he is good but I better not move out of this spot right now. Many of us have been in services where that's begun to set in and some crazy person starts doing something whacked up. Many of us have been in that setting before and let it sit and experience the healing flow of Jesus. So I told my professor, I was like, whenever we're in that setting, is it typical that people try and manipulate it for their own end? And she was like, not at all. When that happens, no one would dare interrupt it. The holy hush, the heavy cloud of God's presence that says to you, you can come through. That says to you, there is zero thing that could ever separate me from you if you bring it to me and let me heal it. The only thing that could is the thing that you desire to keep instead of giving. He draws us to repentance by his kindness. The door is hard to walk through, so he gives us brothers and sisters and many of you need to talk to your brothers and sisters. Many of you cannot experience freedom and you keep beating yourself up over the things that you keep doing and you keep saying things like, why do I keep returning to this? Why do I keep returning to this? You need a brother and a sister and you need to say to them, here's what's happening. And this is real. It's literally happening. I'm doing it. It's not an effect of a, I didn't make a bad decision. It wasn't a mistake. I did it because I wanted to do it. I need healing. That's different. Reach out to a brother or a sister. Can you guys stand with me really, really quick? I'm going to ask that all of you say the sin right now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Worship, you guys can come up. I've just got to say this. I've just got to say this, and please hear it, everybody, because you're a part of the church. You're a part of the evangelical church. Jordan mentioned it last week. Evangelical church is churches that believe that Jesus Christ is the way through repentance and salvation comes through him. That's all the churches that we typically are connected with or that people have funneled in here through. The evangelical church has to step into this space. Please stop blaming the churches you came from. They don't have that much power. They shouldn't have that much power. In fact, stand in the space of that church and say, me and our church that I came from have sinned. Not, they sinned, 
and distance yourself from the body of Christ. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. God is good. Jesus is here. He is holy. He will forgive. He doesn't look like those people that harmed us. Quit blaming them. We have way more deconstruction than we have repentance. For people walking into deconstruction, it's real. Bring your brokenness before the Lord. Stop blaming the church. They don't have that much power. Don't give it that much power. Let's embody what it means to be the church for this day. What do you want to see happen? How do you want to love people? How do you want to put yourself into this society? What do you need to receive from him? What do you need to be reminded? It's real. Jesus is real. Or why are you in this room? It's ridiculous. He's real. If you didn't believe that at least a little bit, you wouldn't be here. Let him restore it. Quit blaming the church. In fact, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. Jesus, we confess. We've given our previous churches and leaders more power than they deserve. Our parents who came from a religious structure and demanded holiness of us, but didn't operate it in themselves, we let them off the hook. Our pastors and leaders and youth pastors and TV preachers who have spoke words of judgment, we let them off the hook. They don't have that much power. And we ask that, Jesus, you would cleanse us with what it means to become sons and daughters that are able to walk through a door marked repentance, but then live the lifestyle, a penitent life, who at any moment is ready to own what they might have done wrong. That's humility. Help us to be people who would own whatever we've done wrong and say sorry. And I just speak this over millennials. You've been given a bad name and it's not your fault. We haven't shown you how to do this. We've required things of you we're not willing to do. You're right. You need to see it. Just do better than we did. Don't do the same thing back. Don't require from us what we're requiring from you and nobody's getting anything. Be the ones that step up, right? Like step into this space. Show your children how to do it right. Don't just be accusers, right? Jesus, let us love well. Let us repent well. Let us not be afraid of these concepts anymore. As we close today, I ask you to give God space to look into your heart, invite him in and ask, is there any wicked way in me? He just wants to heal you. He just wants to bring healing. So Jesus, we collectively confess our sins, specifically in each one of us. God, I confess that I want to look a certain way. I confess that I'm good at acting humble when I'm really just hiding my own sin. I confess that I live under the opinions of other people and it means way too much for me. I can live or die on how people see or perceive me. Forgive this. Cleanse me. Let me just lead like you've called in humility, happy with what you've given us. Let us be a body that will say we need you. Spend some time with your father right now and give him access for the next few moments. So as we close, I just want to encourage you to see that as you walk through this door, there's dreaming, there's wonder, there's vision, there's hope, there's healing. It's so worth it. So Jesus, 
We thank you for today. We thank you for our body. We thank you that we have people to share our burdens with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.